I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. If you don't have a Bible, I hope you'll take one around you. You want to follow along. As most of you know, we've been spending our time for a while now, making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we came to the end of chapter 13, which is kind of a, a breaking point in the Gospel. When we start chapter 14, we move into a new section, really working through the passion of Christ and up to the cross, and I'm excited to get back to Mark 14 with you, but while the book came to a natural breaking point, I thought it'd be maybe good for us to take a break and to return to something that we've, it's kind of a long-term project we've been on together. Back in 2018, we set out to walk our way through the Psalms, and we've made it through about 40 of them. And every so often we pause wherever we are and we come back and spend some time in the Psalms. And I'll tell you up front that I love being in the Psalms. And we would be there a lot more if it wasn't for the need just to be in the other parts of Scripture. And the reason I, I love the Psalms so much is that they really, they touch every part of life. Maybe you're not familiar with what a psalm is. That, so, that word really just means song. And in the middle of our Bible, we have these 150 songs or prayers, many of them addressed to God. Some of them are songs of praise. So we can read the Psalms and there's this, this, this joyful prayer or song and just reminding us of the goodness and the glory of God. But that's not all that's in the Psalms. I told you they, they touch every part of life. See, in the Psalms, there's also Psalms that express pain and fear. These are helpful too. I'm glad God's included them because they help us to consider what it looks like. We know what it's like to, to be afraid, but it gives us words. And God gives us words inspired by him that express anger and fear and pain. I think it's helpful for us to recognize that God acknowledges these things. We also have psalms of thanksgiving that recount the goodness of God. Some are prayers for salvation from harm. We could go on and on. It's a diverse songbook, and it reflects the diversity of our lives. But through it all, even in those darkest psalms where we hear the psalmist angry or afraid, almost always there's this reminder that God is near, that God is sovereign, that God is good. So much I want to say, and if, if you've not spent much time in the Psalms, maybe you would be helped to go back, go to our website, go to March of 2018, Psalm 1, and we spent about half that time just introducing ourselves to the book as a whole. So you might find that helpful. This morning we're in Psalm 107, and I, I hope you have your Bible open there. I want to do something a little bit different than maybe normal for us. Before we read the psalm, I want to give you an overview. It's, it's 42 verses. And I'm hesitant because I don't want to ruin it by breaking it down too much. But I do think it's helpful that the first time you hear it, you have a, some idea of the structure. So I want to kind of tell you that on the front end. And then after we do that, I'm going to ask you not to look at your Bible. And I want to encourage you just to hear it. And then I'm going to have you look at your Bible again. And we're going to walk through it and talk about it. All right? So that's where we're headed. Let's talk structure. I hope you have it open in front of you. Those first three verses are kind of the introduction. 
And if you have your notes, it's, it's a call to praise. And what we have is a psalmist saying, if you've been saved by God, if you've been redeemed by him, praise God. Give praise for his love, for his goodness. We have that phrase that's um, maybe you've heard before, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's an introductory call to praise. And why are we praising God? What's the, what's the reason for the call? Well, it's because we've been saved from trouble. And then we move into these four, we can call them pictures of salvation or pictures of deliverance. Four sections that describe four different kinds of trouble, and they all have this same structure. First, we're told about the trouble, and then we're told that it gets really bad. And then we're told that they cry out to God. You can see those four sections. All of them in the ESV translation start with the word some. So if you see verse 4, some of them wandered in deserts. Verse 10, some of them sat in darkness. Verse 17, some of them were fools through their sinful ways. Verse 23, some of them went down to the sea in ships. So we see the trouble. We hear their cry. And then in every one of them, we have some, some, a verse that's the same. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to children of man. Trouble, cry, God hears, God responds, and the people are called to praise. That gets us up to verse 32. And it seems like it should be the end. So we've had this call to, to, to praise, and we've had these four testimonies or these pictures of redemption. And then it takes kind of a weird turn. It doesn't seem to fit. But what we have at the end really is a description of the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. Are you familiar with those words? It's this idea that God is over all things. And what the psalmist acknowledges in that last section is this. When things are really hard, God's over that. And when things transition to being really good, God's over that. And there'll be times of blessing and prosperity and difficulty and pain, and we can trust God with all these things. So maybe it fits better than we give it credit for. There's one verse left, verse 43. And I want you to hear, before we read the psalm, how the psalm ends. Listen to this, verse 43. Whoever is wise, you want to be wise? Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. I think it's a pretty good introduction. If you want to be wise, pay attention to these things. Consider the never-failing, never-ending, always steadfast love of the Lord. All right, so you have it in your mind? Introduction, four stories of redemption, and then this consideration of the sovereignty of God. So at this point, do as you wish. My recommendation is this. Don't follow along. Would you just take time to hear it? And then we're going to look at it, and you can see it with your eyes. Hear the word of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. 
and gathered in from lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in deserts, finding no city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. He satisfies the longing soul. The hungry soul he fills with good things. Some others sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So God bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them from all their trouble. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their chains apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze. He cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them, and he delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters, and they saw the great deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. See, God commanded and raised a stormy wind which lifted the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from all their distress. He made the storm to be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when the waters were quiet, and God brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Here's this transition. For God turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. God turns a desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. There he lets the hungry live. And they establish a city to dwell in. They sow fields and plant vineyards, and they get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. 
but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright shall see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. God, would you give us wisdom as we consider these things? Would you speak to us through your word, through your spirit? Would you help us to see and to know and believe your steadfast love? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I suppose we could stand up and sing now. But maybe it would be helpful for us just to dive in a little bit deeper. And it's 42 verses. We won't have time to touch every word. And it's probably not needful. Some of it's pretty self-explanatory. But as we work through, I want to honor the main purpose of the psalm, which I believe is this. We're going to get halfway through and you're going to say, where's this going? Here's where I think God wants to do in us through this psalm. I think he wants to take our eyes and to lift them upward. Because see, on our own, we look this way, and all we see is the trouble, and all we see is the pain. And these psalms, psalms like this, are meant to to raise our gaze and to look up. To help us consider. Consider these two things. We believe that there is a God who made all things. He sustains all things. He's perfect in all his ways. We were born sinful enemies and deserving his judgment. Yet God, in his kindness, made a way of salvation. And now all those who believe in him have a relationship with the God, creator, powerful, holy. We have a relationship with him. And he invites us to call out to him. And he tells us he'll hear us. And he'll respond. Yet so often we get stuck here and we see the trouble and we mull it over and we can't figure it out and we feel crushed. And if that's you this morning, I hope the psalm will lift your eyes up. And you'll see that there's God who loves and cares for you and who will hear you when you pray. Maybe you're overwhelmed with the cares of life. Maybe you're held captive by sin. Maybe you just feel lost. This psalm should serve as a booming announcement. Look to God. He will hear you. He loves you. And he is able to save you. Start off the psalm with that call to praise. Verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Here's what I know to be true. One of the most common temptations among creatures like us is this, to question the goodness of God. And this is not a new temptation. It's as old as people. It goes back to Adam and Eve. They were the first. They believed that God was holding out on them, that there was more good for them to have that he wasn't giving to them. They questioned his goodness, which is common. See, we look at our lives and we see things aren't good. And we look at our world and we see things aren't good. And we assign blame. 
we accuse God of not being good. Well, this psalm, all of it is, I believe, a case for the goodness of God. Yes, life is hard. Yes, we may face trouble. But in it all, God remains good. And one way we see his goodness is through his benevolence, through his giving of his steadfast love. Now, I hate to do this, but what you have to know is that when it says steadfast love, this in the, the original language, because we have a translation, and there, it's one word, it's this word hesed, and you don't have to remember that. But what you should remember is that anytime you see these words, steadfast love, it's our attempt as people translating one word into another language to try to, to wrap up a really big concept. What he's talking about here is a love that's promised, and the one who promises it doesn't make his promise, break his promises. It's a steadfast love. It's an unbreakable love. It's an unending love. We don't love that way, do we? We try to. But most of the time, our love is conditional. What this speaks of is an unconditional love, a, a steadfast, never-ending, never-failing, never-going-away love. And now hear this. That love has been set on us. We see in verse 2 is this call to praise God for his goodness and his first steadfast love. See, he set those on us, and so all who believe, who repent of their sins and believe, we're called his people, we're saved from our sins. And he says this in verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you know Christ, if you've been forgiven, this is your story. He saved you, he's rescued you. So say so. Give thanks and praise to him. Let your testimony be known to those around you. As those who've been rescued and set free from God, we should not be able to remain silent about it. We shouldn't be able to stay quiet. It's always important for us when we come to a psalm like this for, for us to consider. Because this wasn't necessarily written in our context, was it? This was written in 500 AD, thereabouts, a long time ago. Let me tell you about what was going on when this was originally written. The people of God had a, had a land. And as they lived in that land, they rebelled against God. They worshipped idols. They didn't obey him. And God was patient and kind. But eventually he knew that he must take action to lead them to repentance. And so what he did was he allowed the Babylonians to come in to attack the people. And they were exiled from their land. Many of them ended up in captivity in Babylon. After a period of time, God released them. I mean, we could talk about history. Kings came in and released them. But God released them from their exile, and they were able to come back to their land. And this psalm comes around that time of return from exile. So we can hear it through that context, right? There's people who have been saved from trouble. They've been gathered in, is what verse 3 says, gathered in from lands from the east and the west and the north and the south. And he's saying, if you've been brought back, if you've been saved from exile, if you've returned because of God, praise him. I think this verse does point us to that original context of this gathering of people back into the land. But I also believe that original application is a shadow of something else that's going to happen in the future. 
If you've been with us, I hope in your mind right now, you're thinking, oh yeah, Mark 13. Remember? Mark 13, 27. We read there that he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. God's going to one day return and call all the redeemed, all the forgiven together. Something we see over and over in Scripture, that God is saving a people from self, from every tribe and from every tongue and from every nation. And if you know Christ, you're among the redeemed, those who have been saved from trouble and who will be gathered together with him on that last day. If that's you, this psalm is a call to you to praise him for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. But here's my fear. Some of us means we've forgotten or never really understood the weight of our salvation, which means we don't feel much impetus to praise. I think this psalm helps with that. The psalm describes the kind of trouble we were in. It describes the salvation of God. And my hope is that you would feel the weight of the trouble and then the praise that comes from recognizing the deliverance. So we get these four stories, these pictures of redemption. And I do want to walk through all four. I wondered, should we just walk through one and then say you've got three more? I think the repetition isn't on purpose. And I think we should hear it that way. So when you think, oh yeah, I get it now, just remember, we need this repetition and hopefully it's, it's helping us. It reminds us of our need. It reminds us of the power of God. It reminds us of the gratitude that should be shown. So we start in verse 4 with this first group, and the psalmist describes people lost and wandering in the desert. Some of them, verse 4, wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. All right, you're going to have to use your imagination this morning, okay? Desert. Lost. Hot. Dry. And I don't know which way to go. Out of food, out of water. I don't think I've ever been truly lost. Let's try to think about it. About a year ago, Parker and Graham and I went on a hike. Went about six or seven miles. That's a long ways for a four, you know, seven-year-old and an old guy like me. We hiked in, and I was hiking towards a place we could get out. And I was going to be picked, we were going to be picked up there. The sun was starting to go down, and we were close to our destination when I realized that the destination wasn't actually a destination. I'd read the map wrong. That wasn't the way out. The way out was another nine miles. Now, the sun's going down, and we have a choice to make. We can turn around and hike in the dark back the six or seven miles we just came. Or I can use the technology I have and try to navigate my way through the woods towards a road. Now, here's the deal. We weren't in any danger. We had food. We had water. We had a flashlight. My biggest concern was I had two kids that were about to melt down, right? (laughs) 
here's the point. For a couple of minutes, I had this feeling of, oh, no. Right? Which way to the city? I think that gives me just a small understanding of what it must be like to be in a desert, lost, and no real idea which way to go. Lost and hungry, and we're told that their physical weariness led to spiritual weariness. Their soul fainted within them. I, I think I felt that for just a minute. Oh my goodness, you know, your soul faints. It's not that your legs are tired necessarily, but you just, what do I do? They were at their lowest point. They looked like they may die in the desert. But in that moment of despair and confusion and hunger, they did the only thing they could think to do. All the other options were gone. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Do you think it was immediate? Probably not. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and then he delivered them from their distress. If we read through the Psalms quickly, if you're just, I'm going to get through all the Psalms this month, I'm going to get through all the Psalms, this, we just, they can become transactional. You know what I mean? Trouble, pray, salvation. But that's not the way we experience it, is it? They hit a rough patch. They had nowhere else to turn, so they cried out to God. They were lost and dying without hope. They cried to God out of weakness and despair. Aren't you glad that we have a God who draws near to the weak? He's compassionate towards the hurting and the broken and the sinner. They cried out and he heard their cries and he delivered them. Verse 7 says, He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Here we see the salvation of God. They couldn't find their way, but God heard their cry and he took them to a safe place. Verse 8. What's the response to a salvation like that? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. I think if we read the story right, we recognize there is no other proper response. To be a recipient of the covenant faithful love of God, to receive his kindness, to receive his rescue, it has to leave us with no other response but thank you, Lord, for your love, for your rescue. I love verse 9. If you're feeling lost, dry, and hungry today, verse 9 says he satisfies the longing soul. The hungry soul, he fills with good things. This is our God. And for those of you who know him, you should be thinking, yes, that's my story. I was lost and without hope. I was wandering and weary, and he has satisfied my soul. If that's you and that's your story, man, let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Some wandered in deserts. Verse 10 says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. I don't have a good prison story for you. We have a description here. If you have one, I'd love to hear it after church. Verse 10 paints a bleak picture. They're in chains, 
and afflictions. Physical chains, inward suffering. In a way, it's similar to the condition of being lost in the desert. But it's also different here. Did you notice the difference when we read it earlier? When they were in the desert, we weren't told that was their fault. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But here we're told explicitly, why are they in prison? Why are they bound, whether physically or spiritually? Why? Verse 11, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed down their hearts with hard labor. They fell with none to help. Isn't this the story of the nation of Israel? I just told you about how they were in the land and they rebelled and so God sent them into exile. This is that story here. He sent enemies to defeat them. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and they were led off into captivity because of their unfaithfulness. I wonder if you've been here because you think, if I get lost, it was just an accident. God helps with that kind of thing. But what if I dug the hole myself? It's my fault. How do I go to him when I made the mess? He responds to those as well. When we come to him humbly, humbly in repentance. Verse 13. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds, their chains apart. They cried out to the very one they had sinned against. They cried out to the very one who had allowed or arranged their captivity. They cried out to him. And he responded with mercy and grace. What kind of God is this? Rich in mercy. And as those who've been shown this kind of mercy, there is only one proper response. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Maybe you have been living apart from God. And maybe you recognize very clearly that you are experiencing the consequences of your sin. And you don't know what to do. This is what I deserve. Maybe you're slow to turn to God because you've sinned for so long. And you know that everything you get is a discipline from the holy God. Friend, I hope you'll hear what the Bible has to say. God responds to those who cry out to him. And he's not just merciful to to those who find themselves in a bad place. He's merciful to sinners. He's merciful to rebels. He's merciful to all who cry out to him. We see the same thing in the next picture. Verse 7. Some were fools through their sinful ways. You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever been a fool and your foolishness came out in the way you lived? Here we see they were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities, their sins, they suffered affliction. They got sick because of their sin. So sick that they were close to death. They were fools and rebelled against God and experienced the consequences. I wonder how you respond. Do you have someone in your family 
she makes really bad choices, and they come to you for help, what's your response? This is the, this is the 50th time. You make the bed, lie in it. Have you ever thought that? Or maybe said it? You got yourself into this, and you can get yourself out. Aren't you glad that's not the way God responds to us? We cry out to him. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. We see that the right response is praise, but in this section, he goes further. See verse 22? He says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and song of joy. Here he calls not just for praise, but for sacrifice. Now, they lived in a sacrificial system, which means they would take a lamb or a goat, and they would go, and they would make a, a sacrifice to God in response to what he had done to them. It's this offering of thanksgiving. I'm glad you're not bringing goats and asking me to sacrifice them for you. I'm glad to be a pastor in the New Testament age and not in the Old Testament. But we're called to something greater. Maybe sometimes we wish we could just bring a goat. Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of what he's done to save you, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present yourself, your life, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We get this little reminder in verse 22. If this is you, praise him with your mouth. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, and then give him everything. Live in response to what he's done for you. It's where some of us get stuck, isn't it? We're thankful for our lips, but not with our lives. Some wandered in deserts. Some sat in darkness. Some were sick because of their sin. Some went down to the sea in ships, verse 23, doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, which sounds like a positive thing, doesn't it? <laughs> but listen to the description of these wondrous works. He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which he lifted up the waves of the sea. Do you have it in your mind? The scene? people caught out on the sea in the storm and what caused the storm or who caused the storm God controls the storm God's the one who rules the sea God's the one who brings the storm and according to this it was one for the books the, the waves went high and low and you remember what kind of boats they had in 500 AD I don't know but I can't imagine they were anywhere close to what we would picture as a boat. Yet they're out in this vessel and they're told the waves go to heaven and then they go down to the deep. And they go to heaven and they come down and their courage melted away, as would yours. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end, verse 27. Death seems certain. 
What do you do when you can't stand up because the waves are throwing you back and forth? What do you do when the boat's taking on water and sinking? There's only one thing you can do. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, verse 28, and he delivered them from their distress. God made the storm to be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And I love verse 30. We don't get this in any of the other ones. We get it here. They were glad that the waters were quiet. (laughs) And that he brought them to their desired haven. It's a beautiful picture of what it feels like when God comes to the rescue. We all know what it's like to be tossed by the waves, unable to stand. Sure, we're going down. And many of us know the relief of feeling the salvation of God. Can you read verse 31 with me? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Amen. As those who have experienced the salvation of God, this must be our refrain. We should praise him in private. We should praise him in public. We should praise him together. See verse 32? This verse says, come to church. Did you see it? Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let's come together as the people of God and praise him for his salvation. Roughly translated, come to church. Let's sing together. Let's praise God for his salvation, for his steadfast love. Some of us were lost and wandering, hungry and faint. Some of us were imprisoned. Some of us experiencing the consequences of our sins. I'm talking about the people around you. One of the things we should do as we get to know each other is to hear the stories of where we were and where God brought us to. You should want to know the story of the person behind you. So when you hear them singing, blessed be the name of the Lord, you know that it comes from a place of real salvation. It means something to say those words. That's the joy of singing together as we know what God has done in one another's lives. And we feel the weight of all that together, of all the ways he's been saving us. Some from deserts and some from prisons and some from sickness and some from sea. He's gathered us in from the east and the west and the north and the south. And one day we'll all sit around his throne forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This morning I've mainly focused as I've tried to apply this to us, to the salvation we receive from our sins. I think that's the most appropriate application when we hear about God's redemption. But I do want to say this, and I want you to hear this, that God wants to hear our prayers of all kinds. So maybe you're here this morning and you don't see your trouble as a sin trouble. You have those too. But you're overwhelmed with your work or with your children or with the sickness of someone you love. Or maybe you feel especially the weight of Afghanistan or you're fearful of someone who's in the way of a hurricane. I want to remind you, because I think the psalm reminds us that God hears our prayers and he delivers those who cry out to him. 
So while I think there's a primary application, hear this. God loves to save us from trouble. So call out to him. He hears your prayers. And this is where we come to the point. I told you, it feels like it's over, doesn't it? We're not going to spend as long in the last 10 verses. Maybe. But they're important. They They really are. And let me try to summarize what's going on here. What the psalmist wants us to hear is that all the trouble and all the salvation, it all comes from God. He's the one that turns rivers and springs into deserts and dry ground. And he's the one who takes deserts and dry ground and turns them into rivers and springs. He tells us that God brings blessing and God brings discipline. God brings prosperity and God brings poverty. And he doesn't do it randomly. He does it for our good. Often he brings blessing to those who obey and discipline to those who oppose. But there will be times when the wicked prosper. And we can trust him with that too. We also read here that when the wicked oppress us, when you're sinned against, when you're done wrong, he cares. Look at verse 39. When they were diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, God poured contempt on princes, the oppressors, and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up out Excuse me, he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright shall see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. God cares for his people. He punishes all who oppose. And it may not come in the time or in the way that we hope, but he will do what is right so we can trust him. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I think this psalm is worth your time after we're dismissed this morning. I think it's worth your time this afternoon and this week to go back and to consider it carefully. And that's not just my opinion. It's what we read in verse 43. 43 translated says, read your Bible. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Maybe, maybe you get this. Life gets hard, you get overwhelmed, and you just think, I just got to push through. You keep struggling with the same sins, weighed down by the same struggles, wandering prisoner, holding on to the edge of the boat, just hoping you don't get thrown out. Simply put, we live as fools. The psalmist says, here's what the wise person does. He takes these things to heart. He remembers that God is good. He trusts in God's promises. He believes in the steadfast love of God. And he cries out to the one who has promised to hear. So if you're in the space right now where you have your head down and you're trying to push through stop living like a fool the psalm is meant to lift our eyes up the wise will hear it
This psalm should point our gaze to him, the one who is sovereign and powerful and who does what he pleases, and yet who at the same time is a God of faithful love, who hears the cries of sinners and rescues those who call out to him. And it's my prayer this morning that you would believe that there is one who will save you if you call out. And that all those who know his salvation would say, thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. May we believe it, praise him, and speak of his goodness and his love to those around us. Praise the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man.